Hello out there, ladies. It's Rochelle with another episode of Unabashed You, where we as women get to talk about stuff. Unabashed You is women talking about stuff. It's a place where we can be uniquely ourselves without apology. We want to be wise, to know our worth, and to enjoy whimsy. Callie is intelligent, analytical, and as you'll hear, very creative. She's got both sides of the brain firing well, it seems to me. By education and profession, she is a theater creative, having performed, directed, and written for the stage. She also teaches. She wanted to talk about ambiguous loss in this time of covid Even though many of us remain healthy, we are going through stresses that have taken a toll on us. We don't know how to solve this crisis or how long it will last. That is wearing us out. And yet many of us have much to be thankful for in this time. We also talked about qualifying language. And as women, that is something for us to look at. Maybe this will help us become even more who we already are. I know it will for me. You'll also hear a couple little texting noises in the beginning. Still working on that sound engineer certificate. I had the pleasure of meeting today's guest, Callie, while she was in college. We got to work together, and through that, I discovered a woman who has a passion for the arts, theater specifically. She is wildly creative, a great collaborator, and a wonderful woman. She is one of those people who will be in my life for always, even if we let some time slip by in between communication. Welcome, Callie. Thank you. It's so kind. (laughs) It's nice to start off with a little... Like a it's little good start to the day. Yes, like you've got a nice smile on your face <laughs> and you're kind of beaming and that's wonderful. <laughs> Let's start with getting to know you. Three words okay. that you would use to describe yourself. Okay. Um, curious, sort of endlessly curious about other people and places and times. Um, creative. Obviously. And and um, loved. Oh, loved. <laughs> oh, loved. Okay, I like that because it's 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 you're receiving it. You're receiving mm-hmm. it. Oh, I love that. I yeah. love that because it's not just about the giving of it, but you. Oh, I love that. Oh, I just. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope the people in my life feel loved by me as well, but I just feel abundantly loved by. <laughs> Yes, yes, uh, fantastic. I was going to say that I love it, but then there's, there's that word again, trying to, you know, get the vocabulary spread out a little bit better here. Okay, I kind of changed this question up a little bit for you. Okay. Your favorite fictional couple of all time, because you are a theater person, and I, I yeah. like to, I, lately I've been asking TV couple, but... I, so I thought, ooh, for Kelly, I should make it fictional because that way you can, you've got, you've got 
you know, theater, TV, movies, books. You've got like the full oh. gamut of fictional, <laughs> favorite fictional couple of all time. Oh, that's really hard. Yes. There's so many. Um, I feel like my brain instantly categorized them into uh, the ones who don't end up together. Oh. And usually in theater, that's usually like death involved. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the ones who do. Um, and the one that comes to my brain first, and I'll probably think of 800, you know, later throughout the day, and they'll drive me crazy that I didn't think of them first. But um, uh, for, the, for the, the ones who make it category, I feel like this is a cliche one, but Elizabeth and Darcy. Oh, I had a feeling. You, yeah, I, I had a feeling you may go into that kind yeah. of... Uh, literary time yeah i also love emma and mr knightley and i think i love both of those couples because they're both smart and uh, like sort of find each other that way um and then couples who don't make it since i've now invented that category yeah (laughs) um one of the like most powerful love stories i've seen on stage ever um was uh an adaptation of the the story of Tristan and Isolt uh-huh. um, by a British company called Mihai, and and both of those people, spoiler alert, die in the end. Oh, and their love is actually an, an affair; like they're not meant to be together. Oh. Um, but it was just so beautifully, beautifully done. I mean, just like weeping, and it was great. <laughs> was there ever a movie made from that? I just for some reason. A Okay, yeah, that's why it's ringing a bell. Yeah, it's like an old, old um, I don't know if it's from Cornwall or it's one of those UK cultures. The, 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 there's like a, it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet thing. There's like seven yes. different versions of it. Right. Okay. Oh, I like those. And they're very yeah. literary and theatrical. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I would expect nothing less from you. <laughs> Which is why I thought, oh, I just need to broaden this. I just need to broaden this. The last book you read that you would recommend. Oh, this is an easy one. I talk about this book all the time. Um, The book is called uh, Big Magic. It's by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. This is her most famous book. Um, But this book is it's nonfiction, and it's about um, like living a creative life. Um, and I have recommended it to so many artists, friends, musicians, theater people, um, and students of mine. Um, and I just think it has so many great perspectives on making your thing, whatever that is. Like if you're Rochelle, it's making this awesome (laughs) podcast and, you know, and being responsible and following through on the ideas that come to you. Um, meaning like being responsible to the idea, following through on it, actually creating something um, in a world that's sort of obsessed with how you make your money um, and tying your identity to how you make your money rather than focusing on what you are creating in the world. I just think it's great. I think it has so many good insights. Um, I've, I've told everybody I know about it. (laughs) I will have to add it to the list. I've got an ongoing list of nonfiction. To me, fiction's easy. I mean, you know, you just ask, you know, what'd you read? What'd you like? You know, that, that's pretty easy, Mm -hmm. but the nonfiction, and I have several on the list. I shall add that one as well. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's a great one. Who would you want to be stranded with 
on a desert island. So it's just oh. you and this person, and you, you may know them, you may not know them. It might be somebody you've always kind of wanted to meet. It does. They can be living <laughs> or not living. It's just, you know, it's kind I of mean, fun to tap into. Tap definitely into. my husband, because a stranger, you don't know. <laughs> and he and I, I mean... Like, that would be, I mean, is it tropical? Are there drinks there? Is there an umbrella? That definitely <laughs> sounds kind of nice. Sounds right up your alley. Yeah. That's so cute and sweet because I thought, you know what? She's going to say Brian. I know she's going to say it's Brian. it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. I, you don't want to get stuck with some person that you don't know. <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. Very practical, and yet, you know, you're you have such a wonderful love story, and you're so committed to each other, and yeah. so it's perfect that you would choose Brian. Yeah. Two truths and a lie. You're familiar with this concept, so mm -hmm. you say two, three things, and yeah. then I guess the lie. Uh, my go-to for this game is that I'm naturally blonde and I have very dark brown hair now, but this is a podcast, and so that is not a, <laughs> not a fun trick to play. Um, okay. Um, I, uh, I have a three-year-old son. My mom is one of 12 children and I always have at least three jobs. Interesting. Okay. Cause I assuming you were going with the, 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 the blonde one is your first one. Okay. Yes. So the, that, oh, was, no, a, that no, was, that was a sample. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that was <laughs> okay. a sample. Okay. So. We've got moms, one of 12, you have a three-year-old, and you have always at least three jobs. <sighs> this is one of those tricky ones where it could just be the number that's off a little bit. Like, maybe Otis is two, and maybe your mom's only got 11 siblings. So, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to go with Otis. Yeah, he just turned two. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Because I was like, really? Has it been three years? <laughs> okay. And your mom is one of 12. Yes, a really large oh, family. That is just... It's such a big number. That's why it's so good for this game, because it seems oh. unlikely that anyone would have 12 children. <laughs> and you have one. Can you imagine yes, having happy. 11 more? No. No, thank you. I did the math. That means she was pregnant for nine years. No, thank you. <laughs> oh. Bless her. They're all great people, but no thank yes. you. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is just mind-boggling. Yeah. Really mind-boggling. All right. Moving into this a little bit more serious. As women, I, I think we really struggle with our worth. You know, we get a lot of mixed messages so how do you counteract some of those mixed messages and where do you get your source of worth? Mm. Um, wow, those are both such good questions. Um, I think I've thought about this a lot since having a baby, um, just in, ter in terms of uh, like media messages about women's bodies. Mm -hmm. I think I was so lucky that when I was really like a young and a teenager and even into my twenties, I was just genetically very thin. Mm -hmm. So I never thought about that, which I, I now recognize like how, um, now that I'm, I mean, I, I am a very healthy person. I have no qualms about my body right now, but mm -hmm. I no longer look like what diet companies <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Hollywood and 
and you know media messages are projecting women should look like right um, and so I, I and so I feel really grateful that I got through sort of my like formative years not having any issues around food or uh, or weight or exercise in the way that I know a, a lot of women do and it's it's so pervasive and I look back now <laughs> I, uh, some something was on the other day and, and Emma Stone uh, it was the musical that Emma Stone was in with Ryan Gosling. Um, oh, La La Land. Thank you, La La Land. And I remember going to see that movie when it came out, and I, I was just on TV the other day, and I was like, oh, my gosh, she's so thin. She's so thin. <laughs> and, I mean, she's, she's lovely. I, I, I don't mean that as a negative towards her. But at the time when I saw that movie, I didn't notice it. Right. You know what I mean? And so, um, like, there's so much about our size. And so I think for me now that I'm, like, you know, a, a normal-sized adult woman in my 30s who's had a kid, uh, recognizing moments when uh, my normal, like, healthy body that has, like, produced this awesome little boy it isn't feeling like what, oh, it shouldn't look like this or whatever is to, to, to ask myself, like, what are they trying to sell me? Right. Because that's usually what it is. Um, so what, what image, what, what lie am I being sold here or what product am I being sold here? Whether that's, you know, a, like a weight related thing or, um, diet stuff I mean it's just such a it's a billion dollar multi-billion dollar industry right um so what what does it does it matter what size my waist is does it matter what size my pants are am I healthy am I able to do the things I want to do with my life and if so why do I want to spend more mental energy thinking about this or or literal money thinking and investing into um this and so usually when I think about it in those terms it's easier for me to be like, well, I don't want to give my money to the cause of telling women they need to take up less space and that they need to be smaller. Right. Right. Um, I don't, I don't want to invest in that <laughs> either mentally or, or more money wise. Um, but it's, it's, it's so pervasive and, um, you know, there's, there's other things too, like, um, sorry, I'm, I'm sitting in my classroom, so you might hear a school bell. Um, uh, colorism like how you know not only how slender and slim are you to fit a certain image but what color is your skin how clear is your skin you know all all of these things um are are not if you if you really stop and think about it are not connected to our worth but it can really take a lot of um sort of mental untangling right and i come back because it's so pervasive and I really admire that about you, that you go through, because you're one of the things I, I would say about you also, I, I mean, I, I could have written like a, a dissertation about, <laughs> about Callie and introducing you, but you're very intelligent and you're very articulate and you have a, the kind of mind that really thinks things through to their root and then you, you weigh it all out. And then you, you, you know, you go through this whole process and then you arrive at a conclusion. And I don't know how long that takes you, but that is a healthy conclusion and a no, thank you. I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not going to believe that lie. I'm, you know, I'm content with who I am, where I am. And... I like how your mind, another way to say this is I really like how your mind works, how it processes and analyzes and then draws its own conclusion. And 
it's the kind of conclusion that is very healthy. And I, I don't even mean that as related to what we were just talking about, body size, etc., but just overall well-being, mental, emotional, psychological health, you just are able to arrive at that in a very almost, I don't want to say scientific because I don't want it to sound cold, but very sort of investigative. And and then you arrive there and then you're there. And then like, like that is a rock that you now stand on. You're very good at that, Kelly. Thank you. I mean, it is easier. I mean, I certainly have times in a dressing room where everything I've pulled up around is too small. And you know what I mean? Like, it's not not that I'm always like super pumped about (laughs) the way that I look every single day. But I think having having thought about things in those terms, it's more of like a touchstone of like, okay, this is not a particularly fun moment. uh, But I know these things to be true. So even on a day where uh, I might not be like feeling super great, I can remind myself of those things. Right. That's so important. And I, and as you mentioned, you are a teacher. I really can appreciate and I'm grateful that you can speak into that just even by example to the young ladies in your class and even the young young boy, young men, whatever we want to call them, the boys, the girls that you have. I mean, because they're, uh, what's the age group you're you're dealing with? High school. Okay, high school, yeah. So they're young men, they're young women. So these are important formative times. So it's so Mm -hmm. important for them to get some of these positive messages that kind of counteract what they hear out there which is totally. very shallow and vapid in a million other words that come to mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, I love that. Gosh, I love that. What's one of the wisest things anyone ever said to you? And you know what? You, you said, you know, maybe tomorrow you'll think of other couples, but it's just in, <laughs> in this moment, like what's one of the wisest things? Because you, you may have a slew of things that you kind of go to that... Um, you know, it's just like in this moment, what's something that you can think of that like, yeah, this is one of those ones I, I hang on to. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I have two. Great. Um, Great. <laughs> the, the first one um, was my grandpa always used to talk about um, marrying the right person, which Ooh. is another one of those things that's easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so true. I mean, everything that happens to you when you're in a couple is either made better or worse by the person that you're sharing it with. Um, uh, yeah. So yes, that's an important one. Um, and that was just like, and you know, I, my parents are, my grandparents were married, um, for 50 years before my grandpa passed away. My parents have been married for over 30 years. They're Mm like still best friends. They're super cute. Um, and, um, so I was really lucky to have really great examples of that mm-hmm. in my life as, as like the norm, which again, you don't realize until you grow up and see other things and other perspectives that that's not the norm for a lot of people. And that's right. really actually quite exceptional. Um, before you, go, more, before you go on yes. to the second one, I have a question about grandpa when he said that to you, and occasionally he would say that, I'm imagining, did it stick with you at the time, in like in the forefront sort of, like when you dated different people or whatever, or is it something that 
like in hindsight, after you and Brian married, or maybe even right before you got married, like, oh my gosh, grandpa said I should marry the right person, and I so know that I am. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, my grandma's a twin, and her, so she and her twin sort of led these like parallel lives of, of making different choices. Um, and so there was always this like contrast option of, of when you, of when you're with someone who's not good for you, how, mm. how hard that is and how difficult that is. Um, and so there, there was sort of a, a contrast, even, even if, like I said, all, all that I had in my immediate family were these great examples and my, my dad's parents as well. Um, I, I was aware that there were challenges if that wasn't the case, if, if that makes sense. Um, but he also like in his old age was just so emotional all the time and so sweet about my grandma. <laughs> he, would just, he said it so much because he was just, it was just like one of his ways of like fawning over her. <laughs> oh, that's, that's uh, yeah. really so one, so sweet and tender yeah. that after that many years. Yeah. Okay, so his his advice really informed your choice, and you guys have a rock solid marriage, so that's very good. Okay, and your second wise thing. This was a more recent one, actually. I was having um, a really uh, horrible day, um, and uh, my boss at the theater that I work at um, said, "Get underwater. Whatever you can do, if you can find a pool." get underwater, if you can take a hot shower, get underwater. Um, and I have really found that that is really helpful to me. Um, and I didn't have a pool accessible to me at the time, but I took a hot shower and I felt much better. <laughs> and there's something about, first of all, you can't take your phone in the shower. It will get destroyed. So it's sort of like a necessary um, mandatory break from everything else. You can't do anything else when you're in the shower or in the pool. You can't multitask. Um, and just the, the physicality of it, the temperature, whether it's a cold pool or a hot shower, the change in temperature, the change in, in atmosphere and texture, I have found is like a really helpful thing. Wow. That is I also, I, I read somewhere recently too, in a, like a parenting context of like, just add water. When your kids are cranky, just add water, a sip of water, a bath, a swim, whatever it is, just add water. They'll feel better. You'll feel better. And I was like, that's kind of in line with what my boss had told me. And so far it's worked out pretty good. <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. It probably, I mean, I'm sure people have done studies on it. It does probably shift something within us. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Was, gosh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that when I get stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> the last fun thing you did, and it doesn't have to be, you know, this amazing outing. It just, you know, it, was, it could it be it could be the shower. It could be the shower. The, la great. the last fun thing you did. Um, we recently got a blackstone griddle. Ooh. It's like a barbecue, but with a flat griddle top. Ooh. And it has been so much fun. <laughs> Last night I made uh, Trader Joe's right now has pumpkin brioche bread. And so last night on the griddle outside, uh, I made uh, bacon and then I like griddled the French toast in the bacon fat afterwards. And it was wow. delicious. Wow. It was so good. Okay. So Blackstone, what that means is That's actually... That's just the brand. Okay, yeah. okay. It's, but it, it it looks like a like a rectangular, like a barbecue, like you go okay. outside with a propane okay. tank. But instead of having the um, 
the, the grill top right. except flat. Oh, interesting. Flat surface. Okay. So I've been making veggies on it and chicken and breakfast for dinner last night. That was really fun. Oh, it's so fun to have breakfast for dinner. Yeah. That's always fun. Love it. Okay, it's time to take our deeper dive into the things that we talked about in our pre-talk about what we would be uh, discussing, the, the topics that you brought up. Um, let me just start us off and then you can take us from there. I sort of feel like they're all a little bit related. Uh, maybe you can explain to us starting off with the fact that you're what we would call a creative and that this really isn't a, not that it's not a time to be creative, but the traditional outlets aren't there. So maybe we could start there. Sure. Yeah. So like, I mean, many industries that require in-person gatherings, um, theater is on hold indefinitely, um, which is frightening and scary and, <laughs> and a huge bummer to put it really, really mildly. Um, so in, in some ways, a lot of us have more time on our hands, either because of unemployment or, you know, you're not doing the usual things going out into the world, spending the time that you would normally spend, um, even fun stuff. Um, so, you know, suddenly we've got time to, write the next great American novel if you want, but, <laughs> but for performance artists and, and, you know, musicians and actors, it, the actual end product of being together in a room, which is normally the people who, you know, pursue those kinds of arts, that human in-person connection is such a big part of it. Um, is such a, is such a, you know, it, it, it's certainly not the money. It's the experience that people are after. Um, so, so what do we do when we don't have those opportunities and theaters across the country are struggling with that and either are closing their doors or, um, and you know, sh shutting down because you can't pay rent when you don't have any income from ticket sales, um, or trying to create new things that are not involving people together in a room. Um, which, you know, I, I teach theater classes and typically that's the definition that we use when you know, separating theater from other art forms. It's the live component is the, the defining feature of theater. So what do we do without that? Um, and I certainly don't have an answer to it. Um, you know, uh, like walking experiences, uh, meaning like audience members can walk outdoors from place to place have been kind of popular in the last couple months. Certainly readings of plays on Zoom and other things like that, recorded plays. Um, we've uh, purchased tickets and gotten, um, the, the Geffen Playhouse in Los Angeles did a, like a magic thing and we had like a box sent to our house and we got a deck of cards and the magician in the zoom call was like telling us what to do when we were pulling out the cards. So, I mean, those kinds of things are currently sort of filling that void. Um, but they're not quite the same. They're certainly not what anyone wants. Everybody wants to go back to being together physically. So, but while we can't, like, we don't need to argue about that. We, it's not safe to go back together. So what are we going to do in the meantime? And that's sort of, What's on my mind? <laughs> right, right. And then you you read this incredible article 
that yes. I don't recall the name of it, but basically it was about ambiguous loss. Was that the name of the article? Mm -hmm. uh, the name of the article is uh, your surge capacity is depleted. It's why you feel awful. <laughs> yes, that's, that's it. Oh, so tell us about that because that was really, really so informative and it really shifted some of my thinking and helped me to better understand um, some of what I'm feeling and, and a lot of what I'm seeing out there. Yeah. So this article was a great find for me and I wish I could remember who initially shared it with me. Um, uh, so that I could thank them for it. Um, but the article uh, is talking about how in a crisis, most of us have our own, um, you know, coping mechanisms and ways of dealing with things, uh, and that that's a good thing. And that she, she refers to that as your sort of surge capacity. Like, you know, the building is burning down, your body is going to react and you're going to get through it. You know, that adrenaline will get you through. Um, but that this pandemic is such a sustained, ongoing, ill-defined event for all of us. Um, and even if you're fortunate enough to not have actually lost a loved one to the virus, we've all lost our sense of normalcy, our routines, our rituals, um, which is certainly a part of the, you know, the ritual of theater is, is certainly, uh, I think, tied into our sort of daily rituals as well. Even if it's something as small as, you know, you usually would go to the gym for your mental health. That makes you feel good. You get out of the house, you exercise there. If that's off the table, what do you do? So, and it seems silly to complain about like, oh, I can't go to the gym when, when so many people are on such hard times and right. dealing with death on a massive scale. It could feel silly to be like, oh no, my, my son's graduation got canceled or, you know, these things that are ultimately not life and death, but are just what we expected to happen and what would happen in a normal year. So how do you deal with the loss of those kinds of events? Kids not being able to play with their friends, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so this article is saying that in the immediate, and I certainly felt this way, a lot of us were like, great, I've got this time, I'm going to do extra things, I'm going to write this thing, you know, whatever it is, and, and use the time productively. And, you know, a lot of, like, uh, as Americans, we're very uh, solution oriented. There's mm -hmm. a problem. We're going to fix it. There's not really a, a, a solution to this that any of us as individuals can do. So you can't mm -hmm. fix, fix this for yourself. Um, and that over a sustained period of time, <laughs> uh, is really, is really difficult and having to sort of mentally live in two worlds of like, I might be able to go to this wedding next month or it might get canceled. I might be able to do this thing or, you know, it, that it's hard to live in that ambiguous of a, a space for a long period of time. And so many people who were initially doing re really well at the beginning of quarantine, which is now feels like eons ago, <laughs> right. um, are, are now sort of struggling with having the motivation to do anything at all. Um, and so this article talks about beyond sort of superficial, you know, quote unquote, self-care that everybody's sort of peddling at this point. What can you do? What routines can you establish? What um, thing, small things can you do that bring you joy? Whether it's a hot shower, a walk outside, like what are the things that you can do to sort of um, refuel yourself to continue living in this ambiguous space? Right, and I, I like that because it, 
it's not, you know, we keep talking about getting back to normal or that this is the new normal. And I don't know if, if it's really going to go back to what it was. I think it's yeah. going to look different, whatever that, whatever that different is. It's not going to be the same probably for a lot of things, but, you know, hopefully, I, we had a former, uh, a previous guest use uh, the year of the pivot, which I love. She's not a dancer, but I just love that she used that term. That no, it's not new normal. It's pivot. You just are constantly having to pivot yeah. between you know the different roles we have as women, and um, you know, just okay. Now we're doing this. Okay, let's do it. I like too that you, the article talked about you know really accepting. You know, that's, you know, trying to fight against this is is not a one-person job. And you absolutely cannot, you will not be successful. Then you'll just be frustrated. Right. So accepting that life is different. And I love to expect less from yourself. It's like full mm -hmm. permission. No, you're, you can't do what you did before. Right. And not only is that okay... Right now, that's actually better. Mm -hmm. It's better. It's better for you. Yeah. Better for you. I, I just thought that article was incredible. Really just, in fact, maybe we'll put a little link in, on your page, yeah. on your episode page. <laughs> All right. Now, this is a fun topic. And it, again, related, but I love that you, you described yourself as a history nerd. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so, you you know, like, how did we get here looking at this through a historical lens? Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. So I <laughs> I have to shout out my father-in-law is a coach. He uses the, the Gallup Strengths Finder. This is like a fairly corporate thing. Um, and so when he's being trained in this, he asked my husband and I if we would sort of be his guinea pigs and take this test. Uh, it's sort of a, a personality test, I think you could call it. Um, and then it gives you a, a list of, I think, 30-something qualities that everybody has, but everybody just has them in sort of different ranking orders and amounts. <laughs> right. Um, and so your, your sort of top 10 and then your top five are really, like, unique to you. So I did this quiz online, and then I started reading an American theater article about how during the last pandemic in 1918, Broadway shut down and how artists dealt with it at that time. And the weird fact that there are no plays really about that influenza. So there's so much art. There's no movies about it. There's there's no art about it. I mean, it kind of got swept uh, into World War One, but there's so many films and books and plays about World War One, and there's nothing about the influenza. So I'm reading this article and then my father-in-law comes over to sort of explain our results to us. And he's like, you filter everything through a historical lens. You need to understand the past, of, like understand the present. And I was like, do you know what I was just reading? Moments before <laughs> because I'm like, what is theater in 2020 going to do? I don't know. Let me live back to 1918. Um, and it wasn't until we had that conversation that I realized, oh, other people probably don't do that. <laughs> probably unique to me. Now, did you kind of, you, you, did you know that about yourself, like on a conscious level or it's just yeah. like, okay, you did, you did. I just thought it was something that I was interested in. You know, a lot of my plays that I uh, have written are, are looking at things through a sort of historical literary lens. 
Um, but I was like, I'm just interested in these things. Um, but it wasn't until we had that conversation that I realized how much I sort of rely on that to sort of process the current moment. Right. Oh, I need that context in order to understand anything. <laughs> right. So it just, it just, it helped you to understand who you already were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love things that do that, that really, uh, speak life into you and then help you um, not only just understand, but recognize and affirm who you already are. Like, oh yeah, that is cool. I I do do that. That's yeah, that's me. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Another little topic that we hit on, which I just really spoke volumes to me was like so incredible I know it's it's really a small thing, but for me it was very inspirational. And and you you know not only are you historical, but I, probably because you're you're a theater person as well, language matters to you. Very Words so. matter to you. And so somehow, and I don't even remember how we sort of got on this topic of oh, I think I was talking about you know one of the goals of of this. Or, or even just any woman, not just this podcast in particular, but just this idea that somehow women have been conditioned or trained to be apologetic for things. Yes. And that, you know, part of this is to try to help us be less so. And you gave the quickest example, but for me it was just like this great <laughs> aha moment came out. So can... You were ta- you talked about this qualifying language, so can you yes. tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so this is just generally, uh, so I, I would say that like feminism is another sort of theme that runs through my work and my interests, historical and current, <laughs> uh, and that uh, language is a huge part of that and is one of the ways in which we are sort of conditioned unconsciously in such powerful ways. Uh, I even think we could go on a totally different tangent about the size thing, too, in terms of language about women. But qualifying language is when you uh, sort of diminish the thing that you're asking for. And for women, it's usually like you don't want to bother people. Um, And so... And this is a part of the double bind that women are in in society, where if you are assertive, you're aggressive... Um, if you are, you know, a little more uh, reserved, uh, you're incompetent, or you don't know what you're doing, you're not a leader. And so there's so many studies about this and about the, you know, men can, you know, ask for something assertively, and they're seen as great leaders, and women are seen as, you know, shrill. So I'm fascinated by this. And in my own life, when I sort of realized uh, how, what a powerful tool language is in this capacity, I started proofing all of my emails that I wrote to anyone and deleting the word sorry, sorry to bother you, sorry this is late, um, and, uh, and then uh, qualifying language like the word just. So I'm just following up on this. Yes. You don't need that. You don't need that. <laughs> so I, and I've, I've now trained myself in my writing, at least in, in email correspondence. I don't do that anymore. But I really, I consciously did it for a long time because you, you want to write it. And then when you just, uh, to, when you take out the, I don't want to bother you, I'm just following up and you just have the sentence that's left over it feels aggressive sometimes but it's not it's just the thing that you're asking for which you have every right to ask for 
Um, oh my but it, it, it really reframes a lot of things. Um, and I mean, it, written email correspondence is so tricky anyway, because tone isn't there. And now that even, even more so now well, in the pandemic that we're, um, mm-hmm. sorry, I lost my earbud. Sorry. Um, now that we're doing a lot more stuff remotely, um, and relying even more on sort of written tools for, for work and things like that. Um, tone can be really tricky. So, so without using qualifying language, how to make sure that, you know, if something is a joke, that it's read well, and oh, all of that is just tricky, you know, interpersonal communication stuff. But for women in particular, I think it's a really worthwhile exercise to go through your writing and see if you can rid yourself of those. <laughs> Another one that I really like that's um, not quite so much of a gender thing, but it's just sort of an uh, attitude shift that I thought about after we spoke yesterday is saying thank you rather than sorry when appropriate. So like rather than sorry, I'm late. Thank you for waiting. Ooh. Because <laughs> that's so good. It just, and it acknowledges, it, it still acknowledges like they were waiting for you, but it's thanking them for that rather than piling something on yourself um, and I have found, and that one's trickier for me because that usually happens in verbal conversation where you don't have the time to go back and edit. And so my, my first inclination would be to say, sorry, Emily, which is a fine thing to say, but it's helpful. I think, um, and, and just showing gratitude to the other person rather than making it about you. Yes. Gosh, that is so <laughs> good. I love that. I absolutely love that. That's a very, you're gonna, I'm going to hear myself saying I love that so many times in this episode. <laughs> but it's so, you know, these are the little nuggets that really turn out to be bigger that are things that we actually can do and, and think about and realize. Um, okay, a quick example. I, I have these neck and shoulder issues uh, that, you know, certain sitting positions, blah, 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 all these different things can lead to nerve pain for me very easily, very easily. So I've learned the hard way of a variety of different things, and that's just the way it is. Now, I recently started going back to a person who had done my hair before, and he was coming to the house and that was great but now we're back to the salon so i went to the salon and they have the the bowls where now your neck is at that just awful awful angle why (laughs) we are come on we are progressive (laughs) yes come on that is just and so i went and you know then i was in pain for two days after and I didn't say anything. Yeah. And then I, I did the exact thing that you are in telling us not to do. And it's so fun, not really haha funny, but here I am trying to get women to be unapologetic. Mm-hmm. And so I finally had to come clean with him because I have an appointment later today and say, oh. hey, <laughs> hey, I never said anything, but... That's funny. You know, that da 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 and can we try some adaptive things? And, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, you know, it's the I don't want to bother you. But this is, the, you know, 
I don't want to say I feel hypocritical. What I want to say is that I'm, I am still in the process of learning these things and I haven't fully arrived. That's what I want to say. Are you still there? Oh, now are you there? Can you hear me? Now I can. We had a little blip there. No worries. Yes. Yeah, so I, I am still in process on that. Oh, me too. I mean, I, I hope anybody listening would assume that whatever I've said today, I'm not <laughs> perfect with. You haven't arrived all the way. Yes. I've not arrived. No, not at all. And I feel like as soon as I see him, I'm going to be, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's kind of something in me wants sure. to just fully apologize. But I, I want to think of how great he's going to feel when you thank him. Instead, yes, yes, he's yes. going to feel like he's done this great thing when you thank him effusively. Yes. He's going to feel good about himself. Yes. Thank you for, yeah, and I did say in the text, thank you for being so flexible. Yeah. But, I mean, I think not. part of him feels bad, like, well, you've been in pain? Yeah. I don't want you sure. to be yeah. in pain ever. Yeah. You know, like, why didn't you tell me you were in pain? Because yeah. I didn't want to bother you. Yeah, yeah, it's so so deeply ingrained. So it so is. deeply ingrained. It is, and I think I think you know we need to do it in a way that's thoughtful, kind, and loving, so that we're you know, if somebody were saying something to me, I would want to I would want them to say it in a kind, thoughtful, loving way. You know, absolutely. I, I think that hopefully would go without saying, but. I don't think you want it to be, you know, aggressive and, you know, in your face or whatever or, or any of that. So I think there is a way. And I love that I shared that example because I'm it's in real time. I yeah. am um, and I'm, I'm in process. And so I, I feel like, you know, this has been a really good pep talk. Perfect timing. Perfect timing <laughs> for me to just say, you know, thank you so much. I wish I'd said yeah. something sooner. Thank you. Yeah. That instead of I'm sorry I didn't say something sooner. I wish I'd said something sooner. Do don't you feel like that? Yeah. Holds a different kind of. I don't want to yeah. come off all wimpy and wussy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's it's usually some. I, certainly, I would say at the beginning of my, you know journey in this uh i would say it wasn't even that i was worried about being wussy it's that the thought wouldn't even occur to me um i remember <laughs> like uh and uh my husband has been really helpful with this because he has no problem being aggressive like that's just his personality he will go after what he needs and what his family needs and have no qualms about it um which is a fairly like male thing too but he, yeah. he's particularly good at it um and sometimes i would leave an interaction where I didn't get the thing that I needed and I would come home and I would tell him about it. And he'd be like, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? And like, I, it hadn't even occurred to me that I could do that. <laughs> like it would never have, it's not like I thought about it and chose not to. It's not like I thought about it and then decided I didn't want to bother someone. The thought just truly never came. Into right. Um, and so that, that's taken, that's taken some. So whoever that is, that's, you know, aggressive in a loving, kind way in your life. I sometimes say like, okay, what would Brian do? 
What's Brian gonna, What's Brian going to ask me? Why didn't you do this later? So I can just do this in the moment, and rather than having to admit that I didn't think of it later. Well, you already seem well on your way, though. I would say, as I a think woman, I've gone a long way. Yeah, you're still in your twenties, right? I'm thirty-two. Okay, when did that happen? <laughs> We've known each other a long time. I know we have. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, so you're you're a great example of somebody who is not only aware of this, but who is really making efforts to um, do better. Or now that you kind of see the detriment of of words, I love words. You love words. I mean, words yeah. are just so you know, important and powerful and should be chosen carefully. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I feel like we covered a lot of it. Is there anything else that, that you want to, um, that you want to cover that we didn't already cover? No, I mean, I just, I just want to shout you out to your own listeners in terms <laughs> of like everything that we've been talking about. I feel like this podcast, I said this to you yesterday, but I think this podcast is such a great example of everything that I've been talking about, um, in terms of, you know, trying to live a creative life and actually doing it. So, you know, the, uh, big magic book that I mentioned earlier has this beautiful description of this poet. And I wish I could remember her name, um, but she would be out, you know, a 19th century poet, she'd be out working in the fields and she could feel a poem coming to her like a roll of thunder. And she would just mm-hmm. run to the house to try and grab a pencil so that she could grab it before the thunder left. Like just such a beautiful image of like these ideas and these things come to us and we might not be ready for them. And, you know, you've never done a podcast before. You're not a sound engineer. And, and this idea could have come to you and you could have either ignored it or you could have, you know, been a perfectionist about it and said, well, I'm not going to start until I, until I am a sound engineer and I can get everything perfectly. But which is a trap that so many artists fall into, right? Like I have this idea. I'm not going to act on it though until I'm totally ready and we're never ready. And it's such a vulnerable thing to share either a piece of art or this podcast with the world. It's hard when you have that idea to share it with other people. That's the scariest part. So when I talk about living a creative life with my students, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, your future career in theater. I think for a lot of them, that's not going to be even something that they end up pursuing, but the ability to be open to these ideas, to act on these ideas, to share these creative ideas when they come to you, because they're such a gift. And I hope this podcast for your listeners is such a gift. I know you have been such a gift in my life. Um, And so I'm, I'm like so thrilled that you, you know, this came to you and you're actually doing it. I think it's a great example. um, And I will, I will share this very podcast episode with my students. Oh, yay. (laughs) Thank you so much. And, and you know how I feel about you as well. I, I remember, you know, your last day with us as a teaching artist and, and I cried. I just was, I was, I, I was just not ready to let you go. But like I, I said in the beginning, you know, for always, that's how I feel. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Thank you so Callie, much for having me. I adore you. You are. I love you. I love you too. You are just such a fine young woman and Brian and Otis are some lucky males. They are some <laughs> lucky males. Great. Hey, say hi to your mom for me, would you? 
I will. She's watching Otis right now, so I could do this. Okay, perfect. Great. Thank <laughs> you. Okay, great chat with right, you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Don't forget to send me a couple pictures. Okay. Okay. Bye. Sounds great. Bye. Bye, Kelly. My takeaway from the conversation I had with Callie is to keep on being me, fully me. As we discussed, this is a process, definitely not a destination. We can't ever really arrive, but we can keep going forward, which is exactly what I want to do and to encourage you to do the same. Think about when you apologize unnecessarily or don't want to bother someone when you're asking for what you want. Doing so in kindness and respect is really all that is needed. In thinking of my time with Callie, the word fortitude comes to mind. Callie exemplifies fortitude. May we all get some more of that. And to find us elsewhere, our email is unabashedyou at gmail.com, Instagram, unabashedyou, Facebook, Rochelle Renee, still working on Twitter, All of these can be found on the website in the upper right-hand corner or down at the bottom of the page, depending on your device, and that is at unabashedyou.com. Lastly, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. We invite you to rate and review us there to help make us more discoverable so other women can benefit from being women of fortitude. Our blessing for today, do it anyway. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Amen. That's credited to Mother Teresa, but she actually adopted it from the author Kent M. Keith. And thus, ladies, your charge is to do it anyway. Go be unabashed. Be